0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. For us, but, uh, that's where we will be, 1 Thessalonians 4. Did you know, as we get into this, did you know that God has a plan for your life? Yes, yours. He has a plan for your life. So he uh, he he knows that if he's building what lasts, he is he's got a plan for your life specifically. Because you can't do that. You can't build what lasts without a uh, plan, right? Without a, you can't just do it by the seat of your pants. And we see this all over the place, right? Uh, home builders have a plan before they uh, even you know turn over a stone, right? They, they go into it, anything done with excellence and with the intention to endure uh, requires this plan. Road crews, you don't start moving dirt until you have a plan, right? It's not like, well, we've got to get to there, so let's just, you know, go with it. No, you have a plan. You have to figure out drainage and all those uh, things, Teachers in school, they don't just show up on a, uh, uh, every morning figuring like, well, what, what am I gonna teach the kids today, right? No, they have lesson plans. They know where they want students to be at the end of the year, and they have what, like 180 days or something like that to get the students to where uh, they are to be. Even my fantastic chiropractor, has a plan for 2018 on how to get, you know, an increased range of motion going in my neck and to work out this bum shoulder that I have. And so she's put together this plan of treatment to help me uh, become uh, more agile and mobile in uh, my stiff neck. Maybe that's a heart problem, right? The Bible talks about a stiff neck and it's actually because of our heart, because we're prideful, but hopefully that's not the case. That was a joke, by the way, but... Uh, All that to say, she has a plan. And you see, here's the point. Here's the nail. God has a plan to get you and I from where we are to where we're going. God has a plan to get us from where we are to where we are going. And so let's look here at 1 Thessalonians 4. It's the next passage, like I said, in our study. If you have one of our blue Bibles, it's on page 574. And I'm going to read it. I want you to follow along as I read it. And I want you, as you're following along, I want you to see if you can tell me what God's plan or God's will is for you and me when I'm done, all right? I'm gonna read, you, look, you follow along intently and see if you can tell me what God's will is for you and I when I'm done. Ready for it? First Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. It says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, anybody see it? What's God's will for us? Our say it louder. Sanctification, Sanctification, right? Our holiness. God's will is our holiness. God's will, my holiness. That's what God's will is. You got it? That's what he wants for us. That's his plan that we would be holy, that we would be sanctified. So you got that? All right. If if we all got that, then I really don't even have to preach, right? You've got it down. We can can just sing another song and go home. No, but let's look closer at these verses and let's see God's building plan for us. It begins with this. Don't settle excel more. Look at those first two verses. It begins with finally. It's a transition to the second half of the letter, right? We saw the 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 uh, the, the, um, the structure of this letter that Paul wrote. He had some initial things. And then last week he had this prayer that was kind of the, the middle part. And now he has these uh, final commands on how to live our lives in a way that pleases the Lord. So his tone is changing here. He's saying, look at this. He's saying, finally then brothers, this familial term. He says, I ask. and I'm, and I urge you, I'm I'm pleading with you. And so Paul's kind of getting his preacher voice on, right? He's saying, I ask you, but I'm also urging you, I'm exhorting you, live, live in this way, how you ought to live. And they already knew the instructions. They had already had uh, the teaching. They'd already had the instruction on how to please God. He says this, do you see it? He says, you've already received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. It wasn't a mystery. They weren't ignorant. They knew what to do. Verse two, it says the, basically the same thing. He says, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He's saying, we, we've already taught you. He's pleading with them not to just settle into an old way of life, but to excel still more. He's repeating it. He's earnestly admonishing them. He's exhorting them to continue to live how they know they are supposed to live. Parenting is a lot like this, isn't it? repetition is key, right? We say, pick up the toys, pick up the toys. Why do I have to pick up the toys? Well, because I don't want to step on them in the middle of the night, so pick up your pick up your toys, but it's uh, teaching us like this. We've told them dozens of times. We keep reminding people. Leading is also like this, right? If you have employees, you train them, you equip them, and you continue to train and equip and remind uh, them. They know what to do. They know the expectation. They know their job, but we have continual training. We have continual exhortation. So, too, in our walk with the Lord, right? So too, uh, if if we've been in the faith for any length of time, maybe if you've been a believer for just a few weeks, or maybe for several decades, the problem isn't that we don't always know what to do. The problem isn't ignorance. We know what pleases God and what doesn't please God. It's just the fact that we aren't applying it to our everyday life. I mean, do we, let's just, for example, what's the greatest commandment? That you would love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Those, that's kind of, in those two things is the, is the summation of the entire law. We know what to do. We know what pleases God. But how many of us got those two first commandments, the greatest commandments, how many of us got that down? Not this guy. I mean, we're we're still working on it. We need constant reminders. We can't settle, but we must excel still more in, in, in these things. And so following Christ is this walk of simple obedience in the same direction over and over towards Jesus more and more and more. And so we continue to remind, we continue to excel following the Lord in a way that is pleasing to him. And so we just need reminders of this. In regards of our holiness, God's will for our life, our holiness, we need constant reminders. We need, because we, our tendency is to settle. This is the reality of why small groups are so important to us, right? Just by way of practical application, so you can see why we invest so much in uncommon community. Because it's much more difficult to settle and not do the things that we know we're supposed to do that please the Lord when we're surrounded by a loving group of people that are also committed to pleasing the Lord. They're committed to applying the Word of God to our lives. That's why we put so much emphasis in this. If you're not in one, let me just tell you that uh, you can join at any time. Okay, you can join us at any time. This week would be a great time uh, because the door to uncommon community is never closed for us. It's not like oh I missed it in January. If it's If you're not in one, you'd like to be one, if you've just joined us, you can do so today. And as a matter of fact, at the end of our service, our small group leaders will be at the back of the service, and so you can go talk and pray with them and see how you might get into it. But that's just a practical application of this big point. We can't settle. We have to excel still more in our holiness because God has a plan to get us from where we are to where we are going, and we're not in it alone. We can excel still more in it together. We can excel still more. Furthermore, let's look at verse three here. Here's the meat, really, of our passage. Now, this is where we're going to camp uh, for a little bit because there's a lot of things to kind of untangle in this. Because the reality is, is that we're not to succumb, but to fight hard. We're not to succumb, but we are to fight hard. We can't settle nor succumb in this matter of holiness, in this matter of pleasing God. And so in these few verses here, in three to the beginning of uh, verse six, there's a statement. This is God's will, your sanctification. There's a command, abstain from sexual immorality. And then there's clarifications on how to do that in four, five, and six. So let's start with the statement, the will of God. You ready for this? The will of God, who's, I mean, that's a familiar statement, right? And who's kind of confused by that? Like, what is God's will for my life? You ever ask that question? Maybe you've been at a crossroads, you had a decision to make, you're like, hmm, should I take this job or should I not? What's God's will for my life? Should I marry this person or should I not? Should I go to this restaurant or not, right? There's, there can be confusion as to what is God's will for our life, and we've muddied the waters. Let's just be honest. Philosophically speaking, and all these things, we have uh, muddied the waters, but the Bible is pretty clear on what it is. We've muddied it, but the Bible is clear. Just do a simple like, search in your Bible app for will of God or will of the Lord, and it, only a few verses really come up. And so, let's have a little theology lesson. You ready for this? Your mind's going? Should you get some good coffee this morning? Okay, we're gonna have a little theology lesson uh, because I want to just uh, untangle some of this and I think you're gonna find that, wow, this is pretty clear, this is pretty good. There's two aspects to God's will when we talk about it. There's God's sovereign will That which is being revealed as time unfolds, God standing over uh, humanity, God controlling the events of all of creation, all the things that happen in both heaven and earth. That is his sovereign will, how he has uh, uh, designed and orchestrated things to work out through his providential workings over all things in the universe, right? That is his sovereign will. And we get the insight to that as it's unfolding in our life, okay? Nothing is happening that catches God off guard. Today's cold and rainy weather wasn't like a, hmm, yeah. God doesn't check the weather, God orchestrates the weather okay? He is sovereign over all things. But then there is his revealed will. And that's oftentimes what we're, uh, where we maybe get confused, but is very clear. His revealed will is what he's made known to us in those passages, okay? And what he wants from us. And I'll just uh, uh, recommend this book, and there's another book, but James, uh, rather John MacArthur wrote this book, Found God's Will. It's only like a few pages. It's even easy to read. And you think, wow, we've made it so complicated. And here he's got it in 70 pages. Um, there's another book called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung that is very helpful in this. But when he asks the question, what is God's will for my life? You could probably summarize it. You can put it into maybe five nice categories. And I want to, I have a chart here for us so we can see what is God's will. Well, it is first, God desires all men to be saved. He desires that you would be saved. Look at, uh, well, here, just listen as I read 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 12. If I can turn to it here. You can turn there if you want, but I'm going to read it for you. He says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's will. He desires that all men would be saved and to know him. That is his will for your life, that you be saved. If you don't know Christ, it is his will that you would be saved today. He hasn't withheld it. He hasn't just said, well, it's not for you. If you can hear my voice and you have a brain and you have a heart and you can understand what I'm saying, it is God's will that you would be saved, that you would understand your sin, that you would turn to Christ even today, in repentance and faith, and say, God, I can't do this on my own, but you, Christ, have done it for me. That is his will for your life. It is also his will that you be spirit-filled, that you be spirit-filled and not drunk on wine. Here from Ephesians chapter 5, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so this is a familiar biblical concept, right? Our walk with the Lord is how we are to live our life, right? It's that, that picture of how we're to live our life. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You ready for it? Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. It's God's will for your life that you be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit and not alcohol or not any other thing, all right? That's the specific example, but you're not to be filled or controlled by or, or, uh, or, or, or manipulated by anything else, but we have God's Spirit who lives in us teaching us how to live. It's one of the great benefits of being a believer, He desires, his purpose, will is for you to be saved, for you to be spirit-filled, but also to be submissive. To be submissive. 1 Peter 2 talks about this. Verses 13 and 14. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Guys and gals, it is God's will that we obey the law. We obey the law, that we follow the commands of those people that God has put into place as our uh, authorities, as God's uh, uh, representatives, if you will, in the uh, uh, the civil sphere, okay, in government, and that comes from the understanding that God has put them there. This is Romans 13, other places we, um, you know, we can untangle some of this, but it is God's will that we be submissive, so long as they're not uh, causing us to uh, walk away from the Lord or do something that would dishonor the Lord or um, be uh, outrightly sinful for us. But it is God's will. It is God's will that we submit to them because God has put them in place, right? God is not, uh, his vote is the vote that ultimately counts in every election, okay? First Peter also talks about another aspect of what God's will is. It is God's will that we would suffer or be willing to suffer. Look at 1 Peter 4, 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Earlier in the same chapter, he says, Don't be surprised when trials come upon you. This is normal for us. And so as Christians wanting to live in light of the will of God, we are willing to suffer. And we entrust our souls to a creator who is faithful to us, who we know is sovereign and are willing to pay even the greatest price for following the Lord. It's not always God's will that we live a life of comfort and ease. We would mistakenly say, oh, I'm just at peace with this decision. Yes, God gives us peace, but sometimes we mistake peace for comfort. And God can give peace even when it means a great sacrifice or great trial for living in light of what he has called us to do. And lastly, our passage today, God calls us to sanctification, to holiness. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. And so here's, here's the reality, just some practical uh, things. With when we say, what is the will of God for my life? Here's something that you can do. Here's a filter, here's a test. You have this, this little chart for you now. Say, man, God, what do you want me to do? Should I go to college? I have this decision work your way through this filter. Am I saved? Yes. God, am I filled by your spirit? I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, c- controlled by drunkenness or drugs or anything here. I'm not, uh, I'm not steeped in these sins, God. I'm not uh, willingly re- in rebellion against those that you have put in authority over me. Okay, I'm not in those things. Okay. I'm God, I'm willing to suffer. I'll do what it takes. Even if it's hard, God, this is my heart. God, I want to be holy. I want to be pure. I'm not living in an immoral relationship. I want to follow you. If you can check all of those boxes, then follow the advice of, of the psalmist in Psalm 37:4. Delight yourself in the Lord, in His will, doing, living your life and doing the things that He has called you to do that I please Him. Then he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. What do you want to do? Then go and do it. That is what God has called you to do. Live in light of his will. God's will, your holiness. Have we untangled it now? Or have we made God's will even more complicated? You ready? You're like, man, that was like theology class. That's what seminary is like? Kind of. Kind of. Maybe a little bit um, more dry. Hopefully, it was uh, spiced up for you. A little bit practical. So, you got God's will. This is God's will for you, maybe uh, in, uh, uh, may in uh, a nutshell. Okay, God's will, my holiness, and specifically back to our text now in 1 Thessalonians 4, specifically my holiness in sexuality. So, that was the statement. This is God's will. Here's the command that you abstain from sexual immorality. That command to abstain is to resist, to fight. That's what we're called to do. We're not to go there. We're not to give in. We're to see. And to give in to what? To abstain. Well, this sexual immorality. It's a broad term here. Okay? It's not, not a specific sin that he's calling out. It's, it's just a broad term. It's the Greek term "porneia," which is where we derive our English word for that. But it basically includes everything that is out of bounds. Everything that we should not do encapsulate all that the scripture would teach on these things. And there's, there are big lists. You know, Leviticus 18 had a whole list of things that you should not do that were out of bounds sexually, okay? And there's other places as well, but you know we can't even begin to just define all of what is out of bounds and like just give this nice list because it's a massive list, especially at the rate of depravity and things that are being accepted now. Those things that, as Romans one describes, that as uh, as th- uh, sin becomes accepted, then it becomes right, and then it becomes celebrated. As that is spiraling out of control, then. The further we walk away from the Lord, that list becomes, you know, longer with the imagination and the passionate lusts of those who do not know God. And this is nothing new. Some people would uh, attribute this, you know, like, oh, look at our American culture since the, you know, the 1960s and the sexual revolution and all that. Sure, there's been some, uh, there's, there's been an increasing acceptance and uh, acceptance uh, and, and celebration of those things. But this has really just been a problem since day one. Well, maybe not day one, since day one of sin entering the world, right? since day one of sin entering the world. And so all of these things that are out of bounds, we can't necessarily define all those, but what we can define is what is inbounds, right? What is inbounds? So let's talk about this. What is inbounds? Here's a definition for you. Here's a definition that, uh, that would capture what the scripture teaches. What is moral? What is God's will for us to delight in? It's one man, one woman committed to one another in marriage before God and man for procreation and pleasure. That's very specifically designed. Anything outside of that, outside of one man, one woman, outside of committed marriage that's before God and man, it's not just something that is secret, for these two purposes would be God's will, for you to delight him. That he is given for the procreation of humanity and for your good and delight within marriage. Outside of that, You're in the danger zone. Outside of that, you're to abstain. You're to fight to stay in bounds, even when that looks great, even when that might look uh, pleasurable, even when other people are saying, oh yeah, that's still in bounds. God is saying, no, it's not. And when you're out of bounds, you can't play. When you're out of bounds, you, you can't. You only hurt people if you do. You know, just imagine like a, a, the chaos and the injuries that would ensue at a football game if all the people on the sidelines and everybody in the stands tried to play football as well. I mean, that would be chaos, wouldn't it? Imagine the injuries, those things that would happen. But God gives us these boundaries to protect us for our good and for his glory. God has designed us so that when we live as he calls us to in holiness, that this is best for us. This is best for us. When you're in bounds, play night and day. This is great. God has given it to us for our good. But verses four and six now clarify the boundaries even a little bit more. Verse four. Look here. What he says? He, he says, "Don't sneak out of bounds in these ways. Don't, don't. If you're out of control." Verse four. If you're out of control, that's out of bounds. Self-control is a what? It's a fruit of the spirit, isn't it? Galatians five. Self-control, that the ability to restrain ourselves, is a fruit of the spirit. And so, if you're out of control, you just have this uh, passionate desire that you're trying to go after. That's not God's will. That's not God's will. Don't. You need to restrain yourself. You need to have control. We have the fruit of the Spirit. But also, if it looks like the world, verse 5, that is not, that that is also out of bounds. If just because the world says it, just because a book has been written or a movie trilogy or something has popularized this, doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it right. If it looks like the world, you should probably be a little worried. He says, don't do it. Look at verse 5. He says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Just because those Gentiles is just a broad term for unbelievers, okay? He's saying if, if it looks like that, warning lights. It's out of bounds. You're getting, you're getting out of bounds. Because what? We know God, don't we? We know God. Believers know God. And so we don't take our cues from what is acceptable in culture. We take our cues from the Lord. What he has said is good. Unbelievers can't please God. Unbelievers can't control themselves apart from God's common grace and his restraint in their life. We don't live like that. However, we live to please the Lord, even if it is unpopular. Even if it is unpopular, we don't take our cues from that. Ours is to look like what the Bible would teach us. Look at verse 6 as well. It's not to be selfish not to be selfish. He says. not in the passion of lust like those, and that no one would transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. To transgress, it's to defraud, it's to wrong, it's to hurt the other person. It's from uh, selfish desires. Does this, uh, is this only to satisfy my desire? Am I looking at these things? Am I engaging in this relationship just out of selfish, pure selfish desire? Are we just using and dishonoring this person that we may know or may have no idea who he or she is? But believers, what do we do? We honor one another, right? We uphold one another, and especially our spouse. These things can happen even within the marriage relationship, even here, as we can begin to be selfish. But no, we honor that person. Whether it's our spouse, a future spouse, or somebody that we don't know. As a human being created in the image of God, we honor one another and this is a part of our holiness. It's a part of our sanctification. Our sexuality is just a part of our holiness here. And so we have to be wary of those bounds. We can't go out of bounds. We have to stay here. And when we're here, we are safe. We are good. This is good. It's good. It's good. God has designed it for this. But when we get out of, the, out of bounds, we're in the danger zone. Our holiness is God's will for us, right? Our holiness is God's will. This is how he wants to live. This is how he is refining us. And so let me be clear here, just big picture wise. This is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue because it's talking about God's will, our sanctification, our holiness. Then what we believe about sexuality reveals what we believe about the gospel, right? Walk with me here through this. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. What does it talk about the marriage relationship is like? It's a picture of Christ's love for the church, right? And the church's loving submission back to Christ, respect for Christ. And that's what marriage looks like. Right I love my wife, my wife respects and honors and submits to me in loving uh, mutual, complementary relationship marriages, and that is a picture to a watching world of the beauty and the gospel of jesus christ and so this this issue then, sexual morality, sexuality, then is the most intimate act between a man or a woman, and so how we treat that and how we view that is indicative of how we believe in the gospel and what God has done for us. If we treat it cheap, we have a cheap gospel. We cheapen grace. If we treat it with honor, we have a great and glorious gospel. It's a gospel issue. And so see the biblical principle here. I want you to see the biblical principle because this is a gospel issue. This is is a picture of that and it is a picture, and then it is instruction for us on how we're to live our life. Here's a biblical principle derived from these verses that anything, you may want to write this down, if you want anything done without self-control and without regard for God's commands and others' good can become sin. It's not that all sexuality is, is wrong. You saw what is in bounds. You know what God has said is good. But anything without self control and without regard for God's commands and another's good can become sin. And this is a principle for all of life, it's a principle for sexuality, it's a principle for our money right? If we are uh, unprincipled and without self-control spending our money and hoarding it without God's commands to be generous and, and to give to the Lord's work here, we, how, we, how, we, uh, how we hold on to and view our money can become sin. It become, can become idolatry. How we view uh, food. Food is good for us, right? These things are good, and so it's not the issue of food or money or sex or anything like this. It's, food is good for us, but if we're, we eat without self-control, if we uh, disregard God's commands, if we are, are not putting others good before our own, this can become sin, and it can lead us into the sin of, of what? Gluttony, right? It's the same thing is true with, with alcohol. It's not that alcohol is wrong. There's no forbidden. It's not prohibited just to drink it at all, but it is prohibited to drink it without self-control, without regard for God's commands and another's good. It can become sin for us. And then it becomes debauchery or drunkenness, right? And so this is a biblical principle of things that are good, that God has given us, that in and of themselves aren't good. But when we let them control us, when we disregard how God has said to uh, use these things and to live in light of them, they can become sin. You, you see that? You see where we're at in that? It's a great principle for how we live our life. But this takes us here to our final point then. At the end of verse six to chapter eight, or verse eight. We're not to disregard. Don't disregard these things, but receive help. Look at, look at the warning here at the end of verse six. It says, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. Is this a serious issue? You better believe it, it's a serious issue. He's saying the Lord is an avenger. You see that? The Lord is an avenger in all these things. And this isn't the Marvel comic kind, all right? The Lord is, is an avenger. With a word, God could destroy those chumps, right? God is an avenger. You're not disregarding my instruction or your parents' instruction or your friends' instruction or your small group leader's instruction by uh, by disregarding these things. You're disregarding the Lord. His will, He is clear about what his will is, what his plan is, how you will be sanctified. He's clear about how you will be made holy and please him and set apart, how you will, like he said in verse uh, or chapter three of verse 13, how your heart will be established blameless in holy holiness when he returns to take you home. God has not called us to impurity, but to what? To holiness. We don't disregard that, but we receive help. And no doubt this is hard, isn't it? No doubt our sanctification, our, our purity, no doubt this is hard. And it is a losing battle when we try to fight it on our own, isn't it? You ever tried to fight on your own? It's a losing battle. You can't do it. But look at God's warnings are accompanied by God's grace. Beloved, don't miss how uh, verse 8 ends. Don't miss this. God gives His who to you? His Holy Spirit to you. Don't miss this. God Himself is living within us. If you are a believer, you know God's will. If you're saved, you're spirit filled, all those things, His Spirit lives within you, convicting, correcting, teaching, helping, sanctifying, encouraging you. And so maybe you find yourself trapped in it. Maybe, maybe you find yourself looking at stuff that you shouldn't be, where your thoughts are running rampant, that you have a heart that is dissatisfied or discontent or distrustful. You have these desires that won't go away or you find yourself in a relationship that you just are, you don't know how this is going to untangle itself. You don't know the way out. Well, God's Spirit, through the help of God's Word and God's people, will show you the way out and back in bounds, There's grace in understanding that God's Spirit lives within you, because sometimes—just be honest here—that sometimes Christians can treat sexual immorality as the unforgivable sin. We say, "Wow, that marks this person." Well, let me tell you, it's not. God is serious. Don't hear me like minimizing this by any means. We're not to trifle with the Lord, but there is grace here. God isn't joking around. However, this doesn't exempt you from mercy. This doesn't exempt you from God's grace. It doesn't define you. You're not an addict or an adulterer. This isn't something that has to hang around you if you give it to the Lord. Sure, there may be consequences or whatever, but if you make the hard but right decision to follow in His will, God's grace and mercy are yours. Amen? Amen. We can come to the Lord. It's not like it's unforgivable. It's not like this has to define us forever but you can be free of it. It doesn't have to be a stronghold. It doesn't have to be something that dogs your days all the rest of your life. God's spirit is in you. God's spirit is convicting you. If you would give it to the Lord, if you would trust him in this, you say, God, I want to walk in your will. I want to be sanctified. I want to be more like Christ. I want to follow your plan. Here I am today. I want to get to where I'm going. I know that you have outlined steps for me to do that. I want to walk in obedience, but help me do that. I want to follow you. Well, if you need help in this area, even today, just specifically, if God's Spirit's working in you and you want prayer, you want to talk to somebody about it, our small group leaders, like I said, are going to be at the back of, of the service at, the, at our closing song. are going to be back there at the, at the back, closing song through as long as anybody would need prayer. You know, maybe you want to talk to your small group leader. Maybe you have already. Maybe you've uh, talked about these things with them and in your small group. Well, they'll be back there to pray with you, talk to you, to read God's word, to walk with you. If you're not in one, you can still go back there. You can still talk to them. But take that first step, pray with them. Get in a small group, get with them, get in accountability so you can avail yourself to the biblical soul care that God has designed us. He knew it was hard. This is the beauty of, of, what, of God's uh, sovereign will. He knew it was hard. He knew these things would, would uh, be difficult and so he has given us the help that we need by his spirit, through his people and his word. Amen, isn't that great? Isn't this God's grace for us? So remember, just as we close this, this is a a great passage here that reminds us that God has a plan to get us from where we are to where we are going. It's his will, and it's especially designed for our good and his glory, right? We can disregard it, we can succumb to temptation, and we can settle for less. Or we can receive help, we can fight hard, and we can excel still more. As then his sovereign plan, his sovereign will unfolds and we head towards heaven. Let's pray and ask God's help for that now.